Welcome to Mission Time Possible, the podcast where we talk about every Tom Cruise movie. Today's episode is about the outsiders, not the pro wrestling variety. I'm Jason. She's Tamara. Let's get started. Hello, Jason. Hi, Tamara. Are you <laughs> ready to jump into? It's not. It's. I wouldn't say it's a horrible movie. It's more of just a lot of. I kind of feelings of oh this could have been really good had they made this decision okay well you know me i am always ready to discuss a tom cruise movie so buckle up i am ready okay uh did you want to go in the cast for us yeah so this cast is pretty fantastic um it has it is it yeah i would say of the movies that we've gone into so far it's probably the most of people who've remained relevant mm-hmm. since that time period, I would say this is probably the stronger one. Yeah, like this cast is fantastic. It's see Thomas Howell as Ponyboy Curtis, the main character, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, who's so good in this movie, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, and Rob Lowe had some shady, shady shade <laughs> to cast on Tom Cruise, and we're going to get to that later um emilio estevez diane lane leif garrett tom waits of all people and you know who yes of course our buddy tom cruise yes also um nick cage flea from the red hot chili peppers melanie griffith and sofia coppola all appear at, in small roles in this film um so nick cage sofia coppola it's directed by francis ford coppola could you say this is a cornu Coppola of a film? You should be very ashamed of yourself. Also, there's a Coppola on the music as well. So it's definitely a family affair with this movie. Um, Coppola. Terrible. <laughs> <It's> terrible. <laughs> I mean, um, it's definitely better than Taps, I'll say that much. I, there's certain parts of the movie that dragged. Yes. But I do think artistically, it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. I'll say this. It is one of those movies that is technically good, but I would not watch it again. Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert. Enjoyable? Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars, which I found Ooh. kind of shocking. Um, he wrote in his review, The problem, I'm afraid, is with Coppola's direction. He seems so hung up on his, I'm sorry, he seems so hung up with his notions of a particular movie look, with his perfectionistic lighting and framing and composition, that the characters wind up like pictures framed and hanging on the screen. Which, I can see that criticism, but I also like that part of the movie, that it is really pretty to look at. It's it's definitely pretty to look at, and they, you know the cast is, itself is pretty, but it there's just certain decisions. I don't know if it's I haven't read the novel, so I don't know how to the letter the adaptation is. But there's certain when you're making an adaptation, you kind of hope that the writer or director might want to correct certain things oh i don't know about correcting i i, I don't like well, that correct. word uh, correct well make things more efficient 
I guess is more efficient. Yeah, because you only have, you know, two-ish hours to tell a story, yeah. whereas you had however many pages. You have to, like, leave some things on the cutting room floor. Yeah, it's like you don't want to linger on the same point for mm-hmm. so long before. And which we, you said, yeah, the film drags. It's because they want to belabor, like, certain points, and then they mm-hmm. circle back to the certain, to the point again later in the movie. It's like, we get it. It's mm-hmm. okay. But... We gotta um, move on. I, I kind of want to talk about what it was like to make the movie. Not that I was there. <laughs> but so apparently um, when they were filming, uh, some of the cast members would play pranks. Uh, Matt Dillon, Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, and Tommy C would all play pranks on people, which I I love that image of these actors that I have like a lot of esteem for playing pranks on each other. Um, their tar- targets were often... C. Thomas Howell and Diane Lane. So they were just like messing with their coworkers, which I kind of like. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of young people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Patrick is probably the oldest of the core cast mm-hmm. at this time, and he himself is like maybe early twenties. Yeah, like early early, almost creeping on mid twenties. This is definitely, it, this is pre-Roadhouse, though. Yeah, and so, way before Dirty Dancing. Yeah, way before Dirty Dancing. And, this um, is before he cemented his, his like, macho <laughs> status as, like, your girlfriend's fantasy. So he's still a really young. <laughs> My favorite um, Patrick Swayze vehicle, though, is that Saturday Night Live Chippendales uh, sketch. sketch. Oh, of course, it's, and it's still <laughs> hilarious to this day. Oh, Chris Farley died way too young. And, and of course, Patrick Swayze died eventually. Yeah, yeah past the cancer, which is which is weird when you consider cancer is brought up in this movie. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, everyone smokes <laughs> all the time. Well, it was the 60s. Yeah. The movie set in the 60s. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's that time period where doctors were prescribing cigarettes still. Were they doing it into the 60s? Dang. I might have been. Oh, yeah. At least into the 50s, I know. I know they used to, like, advertise it on TV. Someone famous would, like, drag on a cigarette and be like, smoke, blah, blah, blah. Which is so different from what it is now. Even in the 80s, I remember being a kid and seeing cigarette vending machines. The world has really changed with respect to tobacco. Definitely. And it's weird seeing it now mm-hmm. in the 21st century it's just like oh everyone smokes a lot and and he smoke unnecessarily like mm-hmm. there's i mean there's a scene later in the movie where each one person tries to smoke and the cigarette breaks and it's mm-hmm. like a big dramatic ordeal <laughs> um but okay before we go into the plot i need to talk about rob Lowe and what he had to say i have I, to do I, it I, well Okay, well, like, Rob doesn't have room to talk. What? Okay, <laughs> he, oh, he has his own past. We're not even going to get into it. <laughs> We're not going to talk about what happened on videotape in, like, what, 88 or 89. We're not going to do that. What we are going to talk about is um, my favorite bit of movie information that I came across um, in a very long time. Put on a sweater for this chilly, chilly shade. So in a recent interview, Rob Lowe said that Tom Cruise went 
and I quote, ballistic, after finding out they would be sharing a hotel room while auditioning for roles in this movie. Lowe said, all of the LA people survived the LA auditions, and then the hand-picked people had to go to New York to face the New York version. So it was me and Tom Cruise and Emilio and C. Thomas Howell. Um, it was the first time I ever stayed in the Plaza Hotel, and we checked in, and Tom finds out we're sharing a room and just goes ballistic. I love this so much. <laughs> I love that. Okay, I wasn't there, obviously. I don't know if it's true. But I love this image of Tommy C being like, no, I'm not sharing a room. It's It delights me. Yeah, this is really early in his career because at this yes. point he hadn't had he hadn't had a single. I mean, he said he wasn't like a star no. at this point at all. It, he maybe probably, had a he's had a cumulative thirty minutes of screen time at this yeah. point. So Rob Lowe went on to me. What's great about the story is there's certain people who have always been who they are, and the elements of them has i'm sorry and that element of them has powered them to where they are today and the rest is history and the notion that an 18 year old actor with a walk-on part in endless love there's chili shade right there and like a seventh lead in taps could have <laughs> that kind of wherewithal that's okay, fantastic so to me so he did this right after Taps. Okay, I was, I I was curious about the timing. I guess. Um, I just thought that Rob Lowe was like, try to spin it positively. He's like, mm. you know, he, he's just always been who he is. And he has always had this in him. But he's also like, dude, <laughs> you were in Endless Love. And you were the seventh lead in Taps. You're going to have to share a, a hotel room. And like all of this has rendered me deceased. You are talking to my ghost. Please put flowers on my grave. I love all of this so much. Well, I guess he worked. It worked out for him in the end. But it, it definitely comes off as an asshole. <laughs> Who, Rob or Tom? Uh huh. Mm, no comment. <laughs> I'm trying to be objective in my scholarship of. Tom Cruise movies. I'm just saying if the story is true, in the context, if that is true, then yes. <laughs> Come off like a bit of an ass. Yeah. I, I get not wanting to room with someone. There's a reason why I chose to not live in dorms as an undergrad. Um, I knew that I don't have the personality type to live with someone who is a stranger, but how many days could this have been? Just suck it up. All right, so let's jump into <laughs> this movie. The I guess Outsiders. we're done talking about Tom Cruise being a jerk. <laughs> oh, there'll be plenty of time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a you know it's a gang movie set. I guess it, yeah, it's a gang movie set in the '60s. Yeah, mid '60s in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. Greasers roam the land, getting into fights, going to movies, harassing or flirting with girls. Yeah, and I mean, it's very mild. Like, no one's dealing. Yeah, when they said it's a gang movie, I'm like, no one's dealing drugs or anything. There's no illicit yeah, illegal like, activity going I on. I wouldn't call it 
call them a gang. They're yeah. just a bunch of kids who are from the quote unquote wrong side of the tracks. Like it, they're not they're they're not terrible kids though. Yeah, it's no one's or I mean you get yeah, there's nobody who's really who really annoys me. I, I mean, you got the rich kids, of course. The um, yeah, the socks, and I mean they're assholes because there's that whole classism aspect of the mm-hmm. uh, of the movie and, and novel. But yeah. there's no like the so, only egregious act in the film is something like later on one of the boys, and it's just like it's okay. So y'all are quote unquote a gang because you're poor people who hang out with each other. So yeah, the the movie starts off with you know we get to know the greasers, Pony Boy Curtis, um, Soda Pop, and Daryl are his brothers. Um, they hang out with Johnny, Dallas, Keith, and Steve. Um, Tom Cruise is Steve Randall in this movie. Um, they're all greasers, so like they're the kids from like you know the bad literal podcast. literal other side of the tracks. That is the, that's <laughs> the, the, okay. I now I can see where. What Ebert was talking about with the composition of the film, because he, because you see the train, they 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 harp on that train thing at least uh, like two or three times. <laughs> like they come from the other side of the tracks, just to right. make sure you don't lose that. I and wonder a- how much of that is in the book, because I haven't read the book either. You, you want to find out like how much tra- like like train metaphors are in the book? Yeah, I really don't want to read this book. Um, so yeah, so they're the greasers, and their rivals are the Soches, which are the kids from the good part of town. Um, we eventually find ourselves watching the greasers at a drive-in. They're flirting with these two women, Cherry and Marsha. They Cherry and Marsha end up being the girlfriends of Soches. So after all this, the Soches and the greasers kind of have a little scuffle. Because they're like, get away from our women. Yeah. And the, the girls diffuse the situation, though. And um, one of the socias, um, Bob, is Leif Garrett, the teen idol. And if you want a good 45-minute um, 40, diversion, his Behind the Music is on YouTube. I watched it this week, and it is really fun. He was apparently high on heroin for part of it, which, given that he's saying he is sober, uh, anyway, I have no proof that he was high. I just heard from another podcast. Who's Leif Garrett? Who's Leif Garrett? He was a teen idol in the 70s. He uh, was an actor and a singer. Okay. I was just curious. Cause I've heard the name, but I was like, I don't know who that is. Yeah, like, if you watch the behind the music, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I have seen snippets of this before because ah. yeah okay anyway moving on so later after that scuffle Ponyboy comes home very late Daryl hits him Ponyboy's like I'm out of here and Ponyboy and Johnny uh, that's Wolf Macchio's character um, take a walk through the park to calm down it's all really sad and Ralph Macchio is so good in this movie his He's, character is very tragic. <laughs> he is. He is, and he plays the character so well. He just breaks yeah. your heart again and again in the best way possible. Um, so um, they're in the park, and they're kind of just hanging out. And 
Pony Boy and Johnny are attacked by Bob, Randy, and other assorted drunk Soches. Um, the the Soches start dunking Pony Boy in the fountain to drown him, and then Johnny pulls out a switchblade and murders Bob. That's Life Garrett's character. And Randy and the other Soches run away, probably pissing their pants. And Pony Boy and Johnny are like, "Oh shit, <laughs> we just killed a Soche. We need to do something to not." be arrested now i get why they ran yeah i mean i get it but it was a, it was a very much a self-defense mm-hmm. situation but given that they're kids from like the wrong part of town yeah i get why they were like oh man we might not be listened to if we say that this was self-defense yeah that is a whole mess and they of course need help and they run to uh, <laughs> Dallas, who's Matt Dillon's character. Oh, Matt Dillon is, is so dreamy. Permanently. Permanently his, dreamy. His character is the most annoying one in the movie. <laughs> yes, but he's so pretty to look at that I don't care. <laughs> I hate him so much. I hate him because he's just stupid. Just, just dumb. Why are you so? I spent mo- a lot of this movie wondering why Dallas. Oh God! In was the just end, dumb. Dallas's last like few scenes, you're just like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this?" Yeah, just we'll get home. there. <laughs> we'll get to that part in a minute. Um. So yeah, Dallas advises Pony and Johnny to skip town because Oklahoma has the death penalty. And again, it was self defense, but who knows if they'll be believed. Um, Pony, Boy, and Johnny hop a train, and they hide out in an abandoned church. Pony Boy reads Gone at the Wind and quotes the Robert Frost poem, Nothing Gold Can Stay. A little heavy-handed. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get what you're putting down, you're not being subtle. Yeah. Um, do, do you think that Johnny's illiterate and that's why Pony is reading to him? Oh yeah, immediately. That's, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. I also another level of like why that character's so tragic and like lovable to me. Yeah, it's very much like he. Well, it also well for some context, um, Johnny is the second youngest character in the film out of the group, Mm -hmm. which is why he bonds with Honey Boy so much. And that, yeah, I mean, they seem closer than everyone else in the movie. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's just, I mean, I like that. I mean, that's, it's probably the only thing I liked about the movie is that those two characters, but everybody else can kind of just fuck off as far as I'm (laughs) (laughs) Pony Boy and um, Johnny on screen have such a great bond and those actors have such good chemistry that I believe they're friends. Like, I watched it, and I 100% believed that they cared about about each other, that they, you know, had this emotional bond. Which exactly. is important when you're watching these two characters who are on the run so they don't get arrested. Um, but yeah, so Dallas um, finds them and tells them that Sherry has offered to support them in court. And um, Daryl is sorry for hitting him and that they should go home. Yeah, but they don't go straight home. They do you not. You can't, you can't go straight home, nah. <laughs> that would make too much sense. Right. 
So you take over. What happens next? Well, they pass a burning, what looks like a church, I assume, or some kind yeah, of school. Yeah, it's the church they were staying in, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, it wasn't the church they were staying in, because the, there, was, was like there was like a class there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bunch of kids just like, going to church. Yeah. It's the 60s. And, but they left, some kids got left behind. Yeah, fire the adults in that situation, <laughs> of course. Well, yeah, like the, the church is on fire and there are kids yeah. inside. But yeah, why are how the big just, is like, hanging out there? That, well, that's the other thing. So, okay, my brain was like, okay, so where did this fire start that kids got cut off from the rest right. of the group? And how quickly did this get out of hand? <laughs> <laughs> and then it, the, I mean, you got Dallas, Pointy Boy, Johnny, they run in against Dallas's better judgment mm-hmm. and they all three of course get hurt but yeah Johnny gets the worst of it you find out um uh well several scenes later that his injuries he's got like third degree burns yeah and a broken back broken back yeah oh poor guy and the, the greasers are praised for their bravery um but Johnny's charged with Bob's murder and well, um, it. that's the difference and and i uh, rescuing the kids definitely helped mm-hmm. yeah man yeah like manslaughter is like pretty different when it comes to like how much time you're gonna get but still i mean it's it's unfortunate given that it was self-defense true um so pony boy and johnny go back to you know well, pony goes back to his home and He's in the house with his two brothers. His parents are dead, so it's just the brothers living there. And there's this great scene in the house. Um, there's light flirting between um, the pals. Um, Emilio Estevez's character sits down and just, like, eats an entire cake, and he earns and my full respect. What's yeah, that? He's, he's eating an entire chocolate cake, close to drinking a very, like, a tall boy. I know. I was, like, I was like, is this me? Like, is this character based on me? Because I, I have been there, friends. <sighs> I have been there. Um, but can we discuss Emilio Estevez's omnipresent Mickey Mouse shirt? <laughs> it's just so weird. Like, this tough guy, this greaser, wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt. And they were like, just, Mickey uh, is on. They told him yeah. that Mickey Mouse is on. And he sits <laughs> on the floor with his chocolate cake and his beard. <laughs> I kind of love that character. It's like eating cake, watching cartoons. I, yeah. Bro, that's like a perfect Saturday for me. Oh, and one of the, I think that's something we should talk about. One of the things that's an ongoing uh, subject of contention throughout this film, and, it, and it's also brought up when uh, Dallas goes to meet Johnny and uh, Pony Boy, mm-hmm. is this rumble. So these people who don't have shit else better to do are planning to fight. Yeah at some point in the story and it's like why (laughs) (laughs) for no reason like they're not fighting over territory like mostly most gangs fight over territory money but it's it's to avenge bob's death right no well that's the thing they were talking about i think there was the rumble was brought up even before it got to that point but the rumble actually happens after johnny and pony boy I assumed that the like root of the rumble mm-hmm. was that Pony Boy was back in town, mm. 
and they wanted to exact revenge. Um, but yeah, they meet up, words and punches are exchanged, the greasers are triumphant, but Pony Boy is hurt. And Dallas drives him to the hospital. And they're pulled over by the cops, or by a cop. And Dallas is like, oh, he fell off his motorcycle. And the cop is like, oh, okay. Good police officering, sir. Excellent work. And then they get a police escort to the hospital. Yeah, and that where your stuff kind of goes. Actually, okay, so there's one thing before we get to this point. There's a thing that happens before the rumble mm-hmm. where Cherry runs into the guys because mm-hmm. Cherry's kind of been helping the guys out as far as the pending court case. Will because there's a possibility that uh, Curtis is going to lose custody of Pony, Pony Boy, and um, and she's kind of just been keeping tabs on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The way she talks about Bob pisses me off so fucking much. Why? Like your boyfriend got stabbed because he was trying to murder somebody. Your okay, bo- but her boyfriend was an ass. Her, her boyfriend was a sociopath. Okay. <laughs> it takes a lot to drown somebody. <laughs> yeah. A special kind of like evil to just drown somebody. Yeah. He got stabbed for it because he deserved it. But like, she's like, back and forth with this shit. She's like, well, there's this other side to him. Like, you're dating a monster. Well, I, I get it, though. That's, a, I think, a little realistic. If you are dating someone who is objectively terrible, you might not see it. Clearly. I have dated objectively terrible people and didn't fully understand the extent to which they were terrible until well after. So, I mean, I kind of buy it. Yeah. And she might have some kind of loyalty toward him. Maybe a little bit. It was just weird. It was just like he tried to. He's dead because he tried to kill the guy you're talking to right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, let's get let's get to the hospital because this is where things like start to fall apart for the yeah. Group. So um, Pony Boy and Dallas go to Johnny's uh, hospital room and they brag about the Rumble victory. Dudes, I don't think he gives a shit. He has a broken back and really severe burns. He does not give a fuck about the rumble. Shut up. And you can kind of tell it. Like, Johnny's face is just like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Um, he's utterly unimpressed. And he dies um, right after telling Ponyboy to stay gold. We get it. <laughs> Subtle. Get it? Like the Robert Frost poem that he was read? Yeah. yeah. Ugh. But okay, but the death scene itself is really well acted. Ralph Macchio is so good in this movie. It's just a little heavy handed with respect to the writing. Yeah. I mean, you saw, you see who worked on this film, and it's like, there's no surprise mm-hmm. that is that heavy handed. I mean, the writers, like, who did the screen? But Kathleen Rowell, that she worked on. Ha! <laughs> you had a uh, joys of sex, hear no evil. I mean, not exactly a lot of. She, I mean, she's she's done a lot of work, but at the same time, it's nothing that's not like that great. I would love to see a remake of this movie. But better everything. Yeah. Oh, the acting's fine. 
but better writing. Um, better writing. Yeah, the, the writing is really where it falls off for me because it's so slow in certain pa- in certain places. But I would also I get... like, uh, well, the... No, go ahead. I was gonna say, I would also like to see stakes that make sense. Yeah. I would love to see a little bit more about, a little more filled in between when they kill Bob and when they get to the church where they hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's kind of like sped over and I would love to see some some something in the characters where they they hint at you know how scared they are or something it, it, it's just kind of glossed over and that could be really interesting to watch and like really interesting character development and we don't really get that also it's heavily implied that Pony Boy and and Johnny are kind of in love but it's kind of danced around i don't i don't know. know if that's in the book but it's like I, I didn't get that at all i got that they cared about each other and that johnny had like a really fucked up home life home life and so did, so did pony so i feel like they bonded over just johnny's shitty parents and pony's yeah. lack of parents i don't know if they were really like in a romantic relationship or anywhere near it yeah it's just seeing i mean just well, it could be just a chalk it up to the chemistry of the two actors because they were very much like you mentioned. They were very much mm-hmm. like you could. They look like they could be close. So it's like okay. Yeah, I mean, I would I would watch a movie adaptation where they have a romantic relationship because I think that could work here. It could add an interesting layer of not only are we on the run because of this death, but like we have these feelings that in 1960s Oklahoma don't quite work. That would be interesting. I'm pretty sure that is not in the book haven't read the book but i would assume it's not um but that could be an interesting way to like tell the story definitely so i mean is there and then i guess after to the point where johnny tragically dies in the hospital mm-hmm. and dallas spirals out of control mm-hmm. he loses is, it yeah a series of very just horrible oh, decisions. It's just like one after the decisions. other. So he goes what? to the hospital pretending to shoot a doctor with an empty gun. Um, he robs a grocery store. Um, the owner shoots and wounds him. And then Dallas manages to flee. The cops track him down. Um, he ends up in a park. And Dallas points the gun at the cops and he's killed by the cops. And I interpreted this as suicide by cop. What did you think? Yeah. Yeah. Especially um, throughout the film, um, Johnny talks about killing himself quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And he eventually, of course, dies. And then uh, one of his friends commits suicide. So it's kind of one of those things that was set up fairly early in the film. Yeah, it, it, it's a tragic story for a lot of the characters. Um, but not necessarily for Ponyboy, uh, because he's cleared of wrongdoing in Bob's death, and he gets to stay with his brothers. Um, while going through his copy of Gone with the Wind, he finds a letter from Johnny saying that saving the children was worth sacrificing his own life. So I guess my earlier question of, was Johnny illiterate isn't right because I forgot mm. about this part in my notes. <laughs> so yeah, P- Pony Boy finds this letter from Johnny saying, you know, saving these kids was worth his own life. And well, well, hold on. Who who wrote it though? That's the thing. It's from Johnny. 
I mean, no, he could have. What I'm saying is, he could have like a nurse could have written it for Johnny because he was in traction the whole time. True. But yeah, I feel like that's a really good ending to Johnny's character, though, that he, you know, was willing to sacrifice himself. Um, again, making him very tragic. And I, I really like that character. Um, and the film ends with Ponyboy writing about his experiences. So cool. Cool. It ends on homework. Yeah. Riveting. And I guess, I mean, one of the implications in this film is that Pony Boy's character could, it could, is he's, he could have a chance of getting out of the life that mm-hmm. he, of, of everyone around him mm-hmm. if he was given like a chance. So I guess this is his chance of like, I'm going to get good grades now and possibly do something with my life. Mm-hmm. It could also be catharsis that he wants to get out his story yeah i also found it i found it funny that okay so swayze's character curtis is 20 in this film mm-hmm. he is more about the gang life than his <laughs> younger brothers and i found that weird well he's 20 though like he's st- still young he's still young but it's usually the older siblings are kind of like hey, you shouldn't do the shit that I did. Especially when they have custody. Yeah, one of the, like, like pending issues throughout, towards the, like, the latter half of the film mm-hmm. is that he might lose custody of his younger brother, mm-hmm. but you're gonna let him show up at this rumble. And it's just like, we can just stay in the fucking house, please. <laughs> just stay in the house until the shit is over. Calm down. Yeah. Well, that greaser life yeah, you, ha- you gotta rumble. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I liked certain elements of this film, but I don't know if I'm necessarily going to rewatch it a lot. Yeah, um, it's one of those things that will pop up. If it's on syndicated television, mm-hmm. or, and I'm in the hospital and I have limited. <laughs> Channel options. Oh no! I might watch it. No, no, I'm worried about you having Johnny's fate. Oh, stop! Don't break your back. I don't plan on breaking my back. <laughs> Though I will tell you a little story. Like uh, the the day of my ap- appendix surgery, mm-hmm. like going into surgery, like before they pulled me out of my room, I watched it get. I was watching this movie and I saw a dude get ripped in half by horses. Hilarious timing. Yeah, cool. Exactly what do you want to see when you go into surgery? So that <laughs> with that, we're going to end today today's episode of Mission Time Possible. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Mission Time Pod. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to drop, drop us a comment and let your friends know. Our next episode is going to be about losing it. Stay golden, Pony Boy. <laughs>